Welcome to Yours, Mine, and Ours. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and I'm a relationship coach and an MBTI practitioner. I started going to counselors when I was a very young girl because I didn't socially fit in to any groups in particular, and my mother was constantly struggling to successfully raise me in a socially right way. But I was strange and hard to understand. I had everything from nutritionists changing my diets to acupuncturists trying to get my body back in balance. There were elders in my congregation trying to counsel me spiritually and teachers, great teachers, helping me with ballet and violin, distracting me. Yeah, none of it helped. I was still weird and hard to relate to. And my mom still worried. But one year in school, a teacher gave me and my class a personality test for fun. It was the MBTI personality profile test. For the first time, not only was I normal for my type, but my type was actually really cool. I just never knew that the thoughts and feelings that I had were impressive and important to people who understood them. That was when I started to like who I was and not worry so much about what other people thought. Well, I married a man who, after 25 years, still likes me. I raised three awesome little people into adulthood based almost entirely on their personality profiles. And I like my life because my job isn't work and my friends are amazing people. I enjoy taking care of myself. And when I give to people that I know and don't know, there truly is heartfelt joy. And over the last 15 years as a coach, I've worked with individuals and couples but I help people understand themselves better because it's only then that they're able to truly accept and appreciate others. And that's the key to connecting with others in a profound and meaningful way. It's actually about creating peace within yourself first. So in my show, I discuss important life questions with my listeners. Questions like, what are truly healthy relationships even made of? And what actually makes a relationship successful? And my favorite, what does a successful relationship even look like? Well, relationships are a dynamic between two people that consist of a three-part connection between them. There's a physical part and a mental part and an emotional part. But there are three different elements to a relationship And so that involves activity in each of those three different contexts. But the three elements include the two individual people separately with each of their three parts because they each have their own physical and mental and emotional composition. But the third element is the entity of what they create when they come together. And that entity is separate and distinct from each of them as individual people when they're apart. They both actually change when they come together because they have combined to create a unique dynamic between them. So the goal of my show is to help people learn how to become better individuals, individually, and separate from any other person in the world, as well as understand what goes into bringing out the best in others when they join together in a relationship. In any relationship, that's in relationships with lovers, as well as friends and family, even co-workers and strangers. So it's time to understand what's yours, what's mine, and what's ours. Welcome to the show. Now, the actual theme of my show this week, just because we've got a lot going on in the news here, the question, is laughter the best medicine? We've got a lot of coronavirus crisis going on, not only in the United States, but in the whole world. And everyone's trying to figure out a cure. Well, there's an expression, laughter is the best medicine. Obviously, it's not going to cure any disease. We all know that. But why would that even be an expression in the first place? Well, we're going to talk about two different things today. Laughter and human physical contact. This matters because even though we're all human, we are all different in the way that we think and feel. So it's important to know how to relate to each other 
and it applies to our physical health. Our mind has a huge impact on our body. Our personality is key to knowing not only how to interact with other people, but how to invite them to interact with us. Today, we're going to return to the MBTI personality profile system and review just a few different things before we get into laughter as a form of medicine and the power of human touch in between people. Okay, so just a real quick review. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail. Most people have heard of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Personality Profile System. It consists of four dichotomies. The first one is about your social energy and how you prefer to interact with people. The second letter of your personality is about where you focus in your daily life, just generally speaking. The third letter is about how you make decisions in your life. And then the fourth letter of your personality is about how you carry out the decisions that you've made. Okay, that seems like it could be kind of complicated. Well, and with two letters for each of those activities, there are 16 different personalities. We're not going to go into all of that today because there's a whole lot of books and a whole lot of websites out there. You can look into that on your own spare time. But the first two letters are E or I, extrovert or introvert. An extrovert is someone who gets their social energy when they are around other people. The more people they're around, the more energized they become, the more they want to continue socially interacting with people. When they're alone, they tend to get tired and maybe even a little depressed. So it's important for them to return then to that social interaction. An introvert is someone who actually has more energy when they are alone and socially interacting with other people, especially if it's a lot of verbal activity, that can actually make an introvert tired. They can definitely be socially interactive and they can even be very confident and very comfortable being socially interactive, even for an extended period of time. But after that time, they need to be alone just to relax and recharge, get that energy and that momentum and that strength built back up. It could be six, seven, eight hours at a time of being alone and then they're ready to go again, be socially interactive. You'll know pretty pretty easily if you're an introvert or an extrovert. The second, the second um, part of your personality is you're either sensory or you're intuitive. Now, the I has been designated to introvert. So the word intuitive, it's actually the N that the MBTI profile system uses to refer to intuitive people. You're either an S or an N. Now, sensors are very, very aware of everything going on around them, and they want to be very interactive with everything going on around them because they focus on their senses. We have five senses, and they're going all the time in a whole lot of different ways. But then we also have something inside of us, our subconscious, our mind, putting together all of the pieces that our senses continue to accumulate to create complete thoughts and ideas. And our mind actually has activities that it likes to do, even if our body is continuing to go on to do some kind of activity, some very physically interactive activity. Our mind has other things that it's busy doing, processing ideas, dissecting thoughts, coming to conclusions. Well, you pretty much know if you're sensory or intuitive. Now everyone says, well, I do both. Yes, life demands that everybody does both. But which one is more comfortable for you? Which one is more enjoyable for you? Which one do you naturally just do better? Sensing or intuition? Now the third letter is, how do you make decisions? You're either a thinker or a feeler. Stop right here. Feelers are not overly emotional and thinkers are not smarter. When you're making a decision, the MBTI system has thinking and feeling defined in a very specific way. Thinkers make decisions for themselves and for others based on facts, information, logic, analysis. Feelers make their decisions based on 
needs, personal emotional needs of other people. What's generous and sensitive and caring? Now, wouldn't it be great if making a decision was always sensitive and generous and caring to be logical and rational? But you know what? The question is, when they're not indelibly intertwined, when you can't have it both ways, which one is more comfortable and natural for you to make someone genuinely happy or to make logical and rational sense? You can absolutely do both. You can even try to do them both really well at the same time. But again, what's easiest and most natural for you and what do you do better, just generally speaking? And then the last letter of your personality is how you carry out decisions you've made. You're either a perceiver or a judger. Okay? Judgers really, really like consistent predictability, stability, and structure. Perceivers are more about, you know what? You got to go with the flow. You take it one step at a time. You adjust and you modify what you do. Sure, you can plan, but you have to be ready for a change of plans and be willing to go with the flow. Well, a J would say, no, actually, when things change, it's the consistency that provides stability for life. Js like to have lists. They like to have schedules. They really do like to finish tasks. A perceiver, a P, would say, well, yeah, lists and schedules, are they're very good. Rules are very good, but they are a general idea. They're not a hard and fast law because you know what? It doesn't matter what you say on paper. Life has a mind of its own. Okay, so E or I, N or S, T or F, P or J. Well, the fact is everybody does everything. Everybody has to know how to do everything and everybody does something better than another. They enjoy doing something more than another. And you know what? They're really, really naturally good at one or the other. So the important thing to remember is when we are around other people, when other people are around us, it's time to be healthy. And the most important part of being healthy is creating positive energy. When we interact with other people and we create positive energy within ourselves, that spreads to them. When we do things to create positive energy inside of others, that comes back to us. And more importantly, the reason why I'm talking about this in my show today is because paying it forward includes our energy, our healthy, positive energy. The fact is, we don't have a cure to this coronavirus. We don't even really know what it is. And we got a lot of experts debating a lot of different ways about what it could be and what we should do and how it could manage it. Okay, you know what? While we're still trying to figure it out, let's just get back to what we know for a fact. Okay. The status of our nation, what we're doing. Let's take a look at some of the different things that we're doing possibly by legal mandate, possibly just by expert suggestion, social distancing. Okay, let's let's take a look at that. We know for practical reasons, staying away from someone who's sick is a good idea. But is social distancing a good thing in general? What do you think? No, it's really not. Because the way we are made is to be interactive and it's to be close and it's to touch. After we get away from people to a certain point, once we get a certain distance from them, our chemistry around them changes. Our biochemistry changes. Our mind changes. Our feelings change. We are created mentally and emotionally and physically to be around people. And our health, our physical health, actually is contingent on being around people. Okay, well, how about people who get this, this coronavirus, and who die from it? I don't know what you've heard, but what I've heard and what I've seen on the news, people who get very sick from this are already sick with another condition. So the issue here is, how sick are we really as people? 
as different societies. You look at different cultures around the world, well, there's different levels of health, there's different kinds of health. But one of the things that they've said is, you know what, you could be absolutely fine. You could have it and show absolutely no signs. It does not kill everybody. So it's not actually as intensely scary, horrifying as a lot of people feel that it is because, again, the media really likes to create drama. Well, how about things like influenza? You know what? The flu still kills more people (laughs) than the coronavirus. It's a pretty bad thing. And most people, what they know gives them peace of mind. They understand it. They know what it's about. So it's not even necessarily the coronavirus is a horrible thing. It's the just not knowing that scares people. And so what people like to do, again, as a social, socially responsible act of kindness is let's err on the side of caution. Let's prevent anything from potentially happening in the future. Let's go ahead and keep the distance from each other. Well, you know what? Are they really thinking about the damage, the mental and emotional and physical damage that that could cause to people? Not just now while they're trying to figure out this coronavirus, but in the future. Let's say this actually goes on for six more months. Do you know how your biochemistry changes when you're isolated? Hmm. I wonder if we should look that up on the internet. Now, another thing. I love being married to my Mexican husband. (laughs) We always make jokes about how every problem has a one-word solution, bleach. (laughs) My husband laughed at me when we first got married because I had, I think, eight different kinds of liquid under my kitchen sink. And he said, sweetie, first of all, dirt is not a bad thing. Only really bad germs are. Where my husband came from, you know what? They didn't necessarily look more clean than Americans because aesthetically they might not have the same availability, um, you know, access to aesthetically. You know what? They are clean. They are more healthy. Their immune systems are stronger. Keeping away from everything is not good for your health. Sometimes what they're saying, especially with this, is if you have exposure to it, You build up a resistance. In fact, if you contract this particular illness, and that's true of many different things, it's then that your body becomes more strong. What's the bottom line when it comes to humans and their health? Proactive is always the key. Proactive versus reactive. Our emotional response is the first step to our health, our physical health. Our mental health is about our emotional response. So let's look at the big picture of cancer. Stop trying to put a Band-Aid on, well, you know what? I I hurt my lip when I was puking from the chemotherapy. Let's go ahead and put a Band-Aid on our lip. (laughs) The cancer here is that we are emotionally isolated from each other already because of our technology, because When we're traveling, we don't walk places and talk to people. We're in cars. We're isolated from each other. And the fact that we have to stand in lines because everything that we want to get is processed and it's ready and waiting for us, right? We don't actually do the things to get the things that we want. We're very frustrated and angry as people in general because we don't have relationships, even daily interaction relations with people. That's compromising our health, our emotional health. The fact is, we're just not happy the way we used to be. And the media doesn't help. The media feeds off of us getting upset and becoming reactive and continuing to propel negative thoughts in our mind that generate negative feelings in our bodies that have a physical effect on our life. We're going to go ahead and take a real quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to open up the lines and invite people to call in and ask questions. Again, what we're going to be talking about is laughter being a great medicine and the chemistry of touch improving our health. The number to this station is 888-627-6009. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. 
Welcome back to Yours, Mine, and Ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, and we're inviting people to call in and ask questions. The number to the station is 888-627-6009. Now, the theme of the show today is, is laughter the best medicine? We already spoke a little bit about personality and how different personalities are different ways, right? But we all have the common human factor. And that is, we all need laughter. We all need happiness. And that is key to our health, not just our physical health, but our mental health and emotional health. Well, what's what's first? Our physical health, our mental health, or our emotional health? Because they're obviously all indelibly intertwined. But what's the most important? Well, you know what? Let's just start with something that includes all three, and that's laughter. Genuine laughter. How about the chemistry of it? The two main chemicals that are produced when we laugh are dopamine and endorphins. Okay, we like the sound of that. We, all, we may not know exactly what they consist of, but they're all feel-good stuff, right? Endorphins are the happy drug. Okay, so... They increase pain tolerance and affect your emotions. Well, what really are, are the neurotransmitters? They basically control how we feel. They um, are a big part of our ability to think and plan, right? Um, some of the functions of dopamine are movement, memory, cognition and attention, inhibition of prolactin production. Okay, well, that's pretty good. When we're talking about things that really do matter in our daily life, endorphins, they're painkillers, okay? Well, they're a natural high. Wait a minute. So what is what does this have anything to do with, well, how much does being healthy and being happy have to do with our resistance to things that are bad for us and how much of it is recovery from those things? What capacity does our body have to fight things on their own? Well, let's let's take a look at pharmaceuticals. Okay, when we're talking about synthetic chemicals that we put into our body to get rid of symptoms, not necessarily solve a problem because we might have been told by our doctor or by scientists, you know what, this this actual problem, this particular illness that you have either isn't curable or it's so much work to have to actually do what you need to do in order to solve this problem. Let's just go ahead and give you something that hmm, kind of just makes it very, very quiet. <laughs> so we don't really know that it's there. Yeah, it's still there, but it's just not going to upset you as much. Well, the fact that then you have side effects, those can actually cause more very different problems than the original illness or the original condition that you went to the doctor to get your drugs for. Well, talking about the central nervous system, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that plays a role in the central nervous system. The fact is when pharmaceuticals, when medications create that, the risk is addiction. When we have it in the form of a pill or a liquid even, it can be something that can be excessive in amount or um, frequently, you know what, just not quite right. Sometimes we don't get enough. Sometimes we get too much too often. Well, that really is important to remember that our bodies know what we need. And if we are involved in healthy activities, our brain is going to release the exactly right amount. Would it be worth it to you to do an activity during the day that would actually make you laugh, that would give you dopamine and endorphins to give your body the exactly correct amount at exactly the right time in exactly the right way, no side effects whatsoever? 
Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> okay, well, what about the psychology of laughter? Let's let's forget about the artificial stimulation of it. Let's actually talk about trusting your body to create laughter in your daily life with the consistency and a frequency enough to give your body the feeling good sensation that would help you continue on with strength and energy. Okay, now, smiling is important. Yes, smiling is very good, and it's good. It's contagious. When someone smiles, it can be good for you and the person that you're smiling at because it creates a good mood. But you know what? There's a lady I know in my congregation. I've mentioned her a couple times. Man, when she smiles, she is downright scary. My husband actually recoiled one day when she smiled because, first of all, it looks painful for her. She is not a happy person. So when she's smiling, it looks forced, it looks synthetic, and her pain shows even more. When we're talking about smiling, that's not good enough. Genuine laughter is different. What's involved in laughter? It's complete surrender. You have to totally relax in order to be able to laugh, a real hearty laugh. You have to have positive thoughts and pleasure in your mind and heart because when you're vulnerable and you're completely relaxed, your brain, your mind says, we're going to have some fun now. We're going to enjoy this and we're going to add to it and create more and more and invite people to be a part of this experience. So things that before would have been hmm, entertaining or interesting they become funny because your perspective changes. Your feelings have already changed. So the way that you respond to things is better. You have to have a mindset to find things funny, which means you need to already be in a good mood. That's when things like laughter will happen naturally in response to things going on in your world that might not even have shown up on your radar. You might not even have noticed them before. You're going to be more sensitive to them and more aware of them than you were before because your mind and body are all going to have the focus and the, the perception and perspective of we're going to find some good stuff to enjoy now. And that's going to be good for your immune system. Your perspective in life, then in general, is going to determine your mood before something funny even happens. That's about just in general how you go throughout your day. Not just in that moment, having a, a good mindset, but your big picture perspective of how you view people and how you view life. That is about your philosophy. How do you genuinely think about things just in general, in daily life? Your mood is contagious, but this includes your behavior. When it comes to interacting with people, we absorb the energy of the people around us and we give them our energy when we're with them. So think about just in general, what is your mood when you're around other people? Most people don't ever stop and reflect and observe themselves, but that's very important. It wasn't until I spent a week last week in Tacoma. I had some work to do. I was writing a book and I needed some time to focus on my work. I actually did a few things in a different part of the city and I said to my husband and kids, I really got to be alone. All day, every day for seven days. <laughs> and they said, okay, are you going to tell us where you're going? I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I need to be able to write 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because this person that I'm collaborating with is going to have ideas as well. I need to be able to get on the phone undistracted and say, hmm, okay, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. It's 8.30 at night. It's 4.30 in the morning. I want to start writing I and not have to worry about the, the dishes. Or the laundry. Okay, well, being in Tacoma made me ugly and miserable. I went into stores. I went into restaurants. I went by buildings. I went to the hotel. People were 
angry over nothing, over everything. They were irritable and they were defensive and they were aggressive. The first day I was there, I literally heard screaming and police cars in the parking lot. Someone had stolen a car from the parking lot, but in the process of driving off, someone was opening their own car door. He slammed the car door on the other person. And you know what? The scary part, no one even seemed surprised because in Tacoma, apparently that's, yeah, that's the kind of criminals we have here. Do you know that when your lifestyle and your opinions and your approach to interacting with other people is inherently negative, just generally speaking, it didn't even have to happen to you. When you see other people going through negative things, that corrupts your judgment about what's healthy and what's normal. Take a look at yourself this week and ask yourself, how much of the interaction that I have with people is relaxed and comfortable and pleasant? I laugh. I make jokes. Relaxed joke. It doesn't have to be a gross joke. It doesn't have to be impressive. Just passively making people laugh about things in life that I appreciate. Or when someone is making a joke with me in a social interaction, how willing am I to enjoy their pleasure enough to laugh with them? That right there is going to be a big indication about the quality of your health. We're going to take another commercial break. We'll be right back after this. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours Mine and ours. BBS Welcome back to yours, mine, and ours. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona, and again, we're inviting people to call in with their questions or comments. The number is 888-627-6008. Okay, so we were talking a little bit about laughter and how that really is good for your health. It actually strengthens your immune system, but it also changes your mindset, and how you live your life is based on your perspective in life. How we behave around people and how we interpret the way they behave around us is going to be a huge part of the health, not only of our body, but of our soul. Okay, so now we're going to actually talk about the chemistry of touch. We have five great senses. And a lot of what we do a lot of what we use those senses for is not critical to survival. Do we have to have the variety of foods? Do the foods that we have need to smell as good as they do? Or how about the colors? How many different colors are there and sounds? So many different animals make so many different sounds. You know what? The fact that it pleases us as much as it will please and serve a purpose for them, in my mind, is a proof that we weren't an accidental evolution. We were created in a very specific way to be happy and healthy, not just to survive. But the largest organ of the entire human body is our skin. Now, what, what kind of organ really is our skin? Well, it's, it's there to cover us and protect us. Right. That's very important. Well, actually, <laughs> we have a lot of different things going on with our skin and the stimulation, the oxytocin. You know what? The fact is, when we have the contact, the love hormone, that's what oxytocin is, the benefits, it's um, nicknamed by some experts as the tend and befriend hormone. It's actually one of the most important hormones produced by, um, by humans. It can plays a role in social bonding, building relationships, reproduction, childbirth, breastfeeding, 
Touch is very powerful. It's fundamental. A science experiment that consisted of separating two strangers from each other. One person stuck his or her arm through the barrier and waited. The other person was given a list of emotions. He or she had to try to convey the emotions through a one-second touch to a stranger's forearm. The person who was being touched had to guess the other person's emotion. Now, statistically, based on the number of emotions and contacts, the odds of guessing the right emotion was about 8%. But the results were that the one guessing was right 60% of the time. Hmm, interesting. Gratitude, anger, fear, and love, they all got it right more than 50% of the time. Wow, so the, the statistical odds were only about 8%. 60%, that's eight times more than really on paper that should have been happening. But the most interesting part, in my opinion, was that people can not only identify love and gratitude and compassion from their touch, but they can also differentiate the kinds of touches themselves the emotional feeling, but also the tactile feeling. Because believe it or not, they're two separate things. They're just so finely intertwined that people think that they are the same thing. People actually haven't done as well when the studies are based on facial and vocal communication because touch is much more powerful than speech personal, direct, personal speech, where you're looking at someone's face, reading their expressions and hearing their voice. That has intonation and inflection and um, sense stress and modulation, all of these different things. Wow, you're telling me that touch is actually more important than eye contact and vocal communication? Studies are also showing that some Western cultures are pretty touch-deprived. One of them, the most the United States of America. Also in England, where, let's see, two friends touched each other zero times. In the United States, in bursts of enthusiasm, they only touched each other twice. They were friends. They trusted each other. Well, in France, you know what? The number shot up to 110 times per hour. <laughs> and in Puerto Rico, I think uh, the number came up to 180. Culturally, Certain things are just more acceptable in certain parts of the world than in others, okay. But the fact is, when we have the, the experience of touch, we have oxytocin. It's a hormone and a neuropeptide, which means it's a chemical messenger. It actually, it, it's produced in the hypothalamus in the brain, which is often called the control center, and it's most often released by the pituitary gland. Once the hypothalamus sends signals for oxytocin to be produced, it's either reduced into the bloodstream or to other parts of the brain and spinal cord. And it binds to receptors, influencing how we feel and how we behave towards others. Actually touching is the first part of things like laughing. Well, we usually think of it as a feminine hormone. You know what, actually some do, but men produce it just as much. And the fact that in certain cultures, again, it's simply more acceptable for women to touch women than for men to touch men. That's not true in all parts of the world. Some places, you know what? It actually is good for men to touch men, and they're very comfortable. Like I said, in France, that, uh, what, 110 times? And, and certain parts of Central America, yeah, that, that's men hug and kiss and touch men all the time. One of the things that I really like about my Puerto Rican friends and <laughs> my Mexican friends is that in our congregation, part of social protocol is you shake hands with everybody. And depending on which part of the world they're coming from, you even kiss their cheek. Sometimes two, not usually two. That tends to be more of a French thing. But kissing one cheek, what does that do when we have skin to skin on the face and with our lips? What does that do for us? not only mentally and emotionally, but physically releasing those home hormones into our body is very good because it's part of bonding and trust. Having a genuinely meaningful connection is vital to good health. And trust is the basis for true surrender. When we are relaxed like that, our body then continues to create more, better quality, 
and powerful chemicals in our body. Our organs function in a better way. Our opinions and feelings then are more natural. Our body is very, very built to work a certain way. Unfortunately, our very synthetic lifestyle undermines the natural function of our bodies. When we get back into having good, meaningful connections with people, it does not have to be an intensely intimate relationship. I'll be honest with you, I'd say it in my congregation of, what, 120 people? <laughs> and maybe a little more than that, because everybody's having babies all the time. In Spanish, everybody loves to have babies. Um, the fact is, I don't know more than I want to say 10 people in the building that I go to twice a week. Not now because of the coronavirus, but when I go to the meetings and I see my brothers and sisters, I touch them and I kiss them and I say hi and I smile. I genuinely smile and I laugh. I make a good joke, but you know what? The sense of humor is different. So know who you're joking with and know what's funny to them. Create laughter in them. They're very healthy people and they don't have as many medications, pharmaceuticals. They'll use things like herbs. Yeah, they'll, they'll use natural remedies, but they don't have the side effects because, again, they are natural. If you have good quality, meaningful interaction, you know what? Let's be honest. Prevention is the best medicine. So let me ask you this. Would you be willing to spend two hours a day taking care of yourself, doing preventative things, if you knew that it would help you not get sick and not need to go to the doctor and not need to buy medicine at the store two hours a day on you. Now think about that. 24 hours a day, eight hours if you get good quality sleep. Eight hours of sleep is beautiful because it will keep your immune system strong. 16 hours that you're awake in a day. Would you be willing to spend two hours a day taking care of yourself to not get sick, not need pharmaceuticals, and have the ability, the strength to do the things that, you know what, when you're sick, you just can't do them. Is your health worth your time and energy to you? Is what you do for yourself in order to have more energy and a clearer head during the day, thinking about how you feel while you're doing things just in daily life, while you're working, while you're doing household chores, while you're spending time with people that you may or may not like, would feeling good while you're doing those things be worth two hours a day? Now think about this. How much of what we do in our day to save time, save time, save times. What are you doing when you're saving your time? That time that you've saved, how much of it is driving? How much of it is watching television? Probably a lot. That's a whole lot of doing nothing. So think about your daily schedule and making time to do things for your health. That could be your physical health. It could be your mental health. It could be your emotional health. And some personalities, I mentioned the four dichotomies, intuitive feelers, NFs and sensory perceivers, SPs, they are great at making what they do in the day about other people. So maybe you're not thinking what would really make me happy spending two hours a day to take care of myself. You know what? It might actually be giving to others that would be good for my health. Yeah, some people just naturally want to do that more than others. Everybody should do that every day a little bit. But some people are genuinely more satisfied and gratified when they do things with, to, and for other people. But think about this. Is your health really about your time and energy? Do you believe that the way that you are made, the way that your body works, is it about taking care of yourself in your opinion? Well, do an actual inventory. Let's say... Like I said, let, what was it, 16, 18, 16, no, you know what, well, I think 16, 8 and 16 is good. 16 hours a day. How much of that time are you doing something that is necessary in life? And 
how much of what you do is just because that's what you've always done and that's probably what you'll always do, but you could actually stop doing it and be just fine. Take an inventory of how many minutes during the day you could delete one activity and replace it with another activity that's specifically about you taking care of yourself to either touch people more or laugh with them more. And how much will that change your mood? And how much would changing your mood change your health? Think about it and notice it. Take a note and write it down. Some people would like to write it down more than others. J's and T's usually like that more than F's and P's. <laughs> but when you have that inventory and you can look at it from a different perspective, sort of outside the forest, when you're not surrounded by the trees, would you be willing to spend maybe an hour a day on someone else in order to improve their health or to extend their life? improve the quality of their life? If you knew that you investing 60 minutes, not necessarily on one person, it could be one minute on 60 different people depending on your lifestyle. My husband delivers food. Yeah, he definitely sees 60 people in a five-hour day, right? Well, spending one minute to really make someone happy, to give them emotional pleasure, if you knew that that would improve their health, increase the quality of their life. Would you be willing to spend the time and energy thinking about that? Because here's the bottom line. Isolation is the worst answer. Again, a band-aid for cancer. Isolating people may seem to delay, let's say delay the spread and prevent the um, exacerbation of an already volatile situation. Okay. But the fact is, people who isolate themselves become more selfish. That's been proven as well. There are studies. When we do not have that just natural interaction, it doesn't have to be a large amount. It just has to be allowing things in life to happen a certain way. You know what? If people do come into your personal space, looking at them, speaking to them. Even in the store, people don't even say hi to each other when they're walking by each other. Or excuse me, if you have, you know, a cart you're trying to get through and someone's kind of in the way, you say, excuse me. And someone says, oh, here you go. And they let you pass. And you say, thank you. And they say, you're welcome. You know what? We are still isolated, even if we're not physically in different buildings, because we're not interacting with each other. Isolation is never a good thing. And firsthand, direct interaction is the only way we are able to maintain an unselfish attitude. We basically think, well, if I'm the only one here, I'm the only one that matters. Our mentality has to be periodically based on interactive activity, being with other people. Our mind then has to engage on a level of, okay, well, then I have to factor in this person. I have to consider that person. I need to make that part of my decision. I need to make it part of my perspective just because that's the way it is. That's the practical use of this information. I'm going to put it to good, successful use. And my favorite one, knowledge is power, but power comes with accountability Rights come with responsibility. Freedom is not absolute. If we know certain things about the way we work and about the way other people work, we understand why things work that way. We then become accountable for what we know because the decisions that we make are going to be based on what we do with that information. And that's a reflection of the quality of our character. What's yours, what's mine, and what's ours is all about how much we know and how much we put what we know to good use. No, your rights aren't absolute. You do have to deal with the consequences of your decisions. So make sure that when you take advantage 
of the rights that you have, really, really using and um, availing yourself, not only of the opportunities, but the different ways that you can put these things to good use in your life. Remember, everything affects everything else. And when you know what you're doing, you are accountable for what you do. Now, you know what? One of the things that I say to my daughter when we're in restaurants and we see families sitting at a table all on their cellular phones, technology undermines communication. Non-personal interaction delays development. When you are talking to your kids on their cellular phone or when you're sending an email instead of making a phone call, you are harming the people that you're communicating with, and you are harming yourself. You're actually resisting what nature has created for us, and that's social energy. The coronavirus is not the problem. The real issue here is that we are emotionally and socially very repressed people. That's in the entire world, but I'm speaking mainly about the United States. We just don't want to even answer our phones anymore when they ring. We need to have interaction with people. When we're talking about what's natural and what's healthy for us, we're always going to have different illnesses. We're going to have different diseases. And as soon as we figure out what we need to do to fix this one, we found a, a medication, we found, well, you know what? It's going to mutate and it's going to do something else. How about we look at becoming healthier people? That means we are going to be more successful in our life. When we are healthier people, that will spread to others. It will extend to the rest of the world. When other people are healthier people, they will be more proactive and productive. And when we are healthy and happy and productive people individually, we will come together and make something phenomenal in a couple, in a group, in a huge society. Everybody who interacts with everybody is going to be good for everybody's health. Thank you so much for listening to this show today. My name is Gabrielle Cardona, and this is yours, mine, and ours. <laughs>